Would you like to be part of the next generation of mindfulness meditation instructors? We invite you to take a unique opportunity to earn your teacher certification with Jack Cornfield, Tara Brock, and some of today's leading mindfulness meditation instructors. To get the training you need to guide others in their journey, visit BeHereNowNetwork.com slash get certified. This podcast is brought to you by the Love Serve Remember Foundation and Ramdas.org. Welcome to Ramdas Here and Now. I'm your host, Raghu Marcus. I seem to keep going back to these talks that Ramdas gave in the late 60s after he was uh, in India the first time. And um, I'm not quite sure, but I have some affinity. Obviously, because it's the, those talks, or at least I heard one of them uh, from my um, perch in, at the radio station in, in Montreal, which I've told on a previous podcast. It's the way in which he was still delving into all of these spiritual matters and using his own personal experience as fodder for everyone to uh, be able to um, completely uh, grok, if we remember that word, or just resonate with what he was saying, where he was coming from, and we could feel it in our, inside ourselves. So, I, you know, I. This one is uh, is from uh, oh March '69. And uh, and the other thing is, of course, he talked a lot about uh, psychedelic journeys. And although I think I've, I've also said this in previous podcasts where he's talked about this, he, later on, uh, he was pretty firm in his statements about psychedelics, that they were certainly helpful in the beginning, but that uh, in the end as he went to India because they weren't enough. He did not have that map of consciousness that he expected psychedelics would give him. They introduced him. But in this particular lecture, he talks about uh, a psychedelic trip he had, and, and he ended up in the desert um, alone, um, and it was a, a long journey, meaning I don't think it was acid. I think he mentions it was this drug called STP. I don't know if you if you all are familiar with it. Uh, in my own personal experience, one day back around that time, I uh, was given what I thought was uh, a tablet of mescaline and thought, oh, lovely. Mescaline, you just blend it in with everything uh, for about six hours, eight hours. It turns out it was this particular drug, STP, and uh, it kind of goes on for two, three days. Uh, I didn't know that until uh, I had taken the drug. Next thing I know, it's the next day, and I'm eating at my friend's house, and his mother's serving a spaghetti, which came alive on my plate right in front of me. And I'm, oh, boy. Um, so <laughs> it's, uh, I don't even think anybody's heard of that these days. 
um, STP. Um, but uh, in relation to uh, to this particular trip that he had, he he talked about um, embracing the ten thousand horrible visions and the ten thousand beautiful ones, embracing it all, and and so the concept here about embracing. Um, is a crucial one and nothing to do necessarily with uh, taking psychedelics. I mean, obviously, uh, that is a prerequisite, surrendering into and embracing whatever comes up rather than running from it, which, you know, you can get into deep paranoid spaces. Um, but this concept of embracing, I mean, that's a critical concept for our everyday lives. Um, let's see, he, in within that, um, he moves into, you know, talking about getting free of attachment. And many people don't understand um, even that concept, you know, getting free of attachment. What does that mean? Avoiding life. But back to embracing it means embracing life but without the attachment to each event each action that you take or that happens in your life very important this embracing uh, concept and and he goes into it here so um from then from there rather it it, it turns to this other uh, concept that that follows from from embracing uh, life, and that concept is the concept of servant and surrender. That is a completely misunderstood concept in in the West. Uh, in fact, uh, just recently, um, for those of you that uh, subscribe, uh, or at least not subscribe necessarily to Ramdas.org, where you know you have the gigantic media library with all of these talks and so on. Well, not all of them. I mean, we're maybe one-third through, and we have 500 hours, if you can imagine. But um, if you just give us your email at ramdas.org, we quarterly or so uh, send out a newsletter. In this last newsletter, uh, an article that was written by a very close family friend named K.K. Shaw, who was the first uh, translator for Ramdas. Uh, when he first met uh, Neem Karoli Baba, Maharaji. And uh, he wrote an excellent article. Um, and if you didn't receive the newsletter, I think we're putting it up on the site on when, this week, so around, whenever, around the time of this uh, podcast being put up, which is uh, uh, around September 12th. Um, we don't understand this concept in the West. And K.K. goes about explaining the multiple levels of meaning of what surrender is. And interestingly enough, Ramdas talks about um, his idea, for instance, of what a servant is. I mean, he got the name. In fact, many of us got the name that we got from Maharaji and, you know, his name, Ramdas. Ram being God and Das being servant. And all of us got that servant attached to our names, almost all of us. And uh, so I, he talks about what his concept was 
about uh, you know, what we know as servants. If he came from a middle-class Jewish family and, you know, there were servants that came in and took care of the, whatever, the cooking, the, the cleaning and so on and so forth. And, uh, you know, it, it, the Western model that we have is, well, a servant takes advantage as much as possible of the master of the boss and uh, vice versa, and that's it's a it's this contrary kind of uh, relationship. I mean, uh, oftentimes, of course, it can be um, a friendship. I mean, that can be there as well. So he was like, introduced this concept of what is a servant in our mind, and uh, what 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 we've uh, come to think of with that word. And uh, that introduces another concept, which is in India, the purest form of expression of what a servant is to a master is the monkey god Hanuman. And Ramdas introduces that and the story that it comes from, which is in part of what's called the Ramayana, one of the ancient scriptures of India. And um, and in that story, Hanuman is described as the perfect servant of Ram. Um, and again, we know servant, you know, as as ego. And now, can you imagine that um, the relationship of servant to master in this, uh, you know, from the yogic point of view? is one of total surrender. The only joy that Hanuman had in life was serving Ram, God. He had no other interest in, in this existence except for that. And in fact, uh, you know, Maharaji used to tell us to read uh, this one particular chapter from the Ramayana called uh, The Beautiful, Sundarkam. And uh in it, it tells of how Ram enlisted Hanuman to find his wife who had been abducted by the demon, Ravana. And he went to Sri Lanka and he burnt the city down. And he found her and he came back to Ram and he told what had happened and that now all Ram had to do was take his army and go over there and uh, get her back. And uh, so there's one part in the story where... Maharaji would become so deeply affected by this incident that he would bring him to tears. And it's the part where Ram goes to Hanuman after hearing of his exploits, and he says, whatever, you have done something that no one has done for me ever before. The kind of selflessness that you have uh, demonstrated here and action is uh, I, I will give you whatever boon you want from any of the six, eight universes, whatever. And Hanuman at that point falls to the feet of Ram crying, save me, save me from the tentacles of egoism. That's all he wanted. That is all he wanted. And, and, uh, and that period of time when we were with Maharaji and he was impressing on us every day the purity and the um, 
the love that Hanuman expresses with something for us to look to, um, that is a radical, completely topsy-turvy model of what we're used to with the word servant and surrender. And uh, we'll listen to Ramdas here and now. This talk was given the 27th of March, 1969, in New York City as one of the Bucks County Seminar House series. The speaker is Baba Ram Das, formerly Dr. Richard Alpert. understand the form is the Solomon's judgment hall, his face pale with anguish, his two lips blue. Solomon said to him, Sir, what has happened? Azrael, the angel of death, said the man, has looked upon me so angry and baleful. Well, what is your wish? asked Solomon. Declare it, said the man. Command the wind, O Lord Protector, to transport me hence unto Hindustan. It may be that coming there, your slave will save his soul alive. Solomon ordered the winds to bear him swiftly over the water to the depths of Indus. The following day, when his court was in session, Solomon spoke to Azrael thus, Did you look on that true believer so balefully to drive him a wanderer far from home? Said Azrael, When did I look on him balefully? I beheld him with astonishment as I passed by, for God had commanded me, saying, This very day sees you his spirit in Hindustan. I said to myself in wonder, Even though he had a hundred wings, for him to be in India this day is a far journey. From whom shall we flee? From ourselves? Impossible. From whom shall we snatch ourselves? From God? 
how impious. in India, I went by bus to Delhi and got on a plane and flew to Tokyo and after a few weeks in Kyoto flew to Honolulu and flew to Los Angeles and flew to Boston and drove to New Hampshire. And all the time as all this was happening, it was as if nothing were happening whatsoever. I was staying in exactly the same place. The first time I experienced this timeless, spaceless quality, several years back, a chemical called STP. I found myself in a, in a silent booth and I saw the drama of life going on around me as if it were a series of still photographs including my own life, my own part of the drama. taken this chemical and it had put me in this place 
and I felt a great sense of loss. It was as if you knew you were never going to pick up a mystery book that you were not going to know the ending already for. It was as if the adventure had gone out of life. The smell had gone out of the rose. It was all dead. was flat, silent, void, empty, nothing. Call turning to my friend who had given me the STP and asking him who controlled this dimension of reality that I was in. It was total paranoia. Who runs this? Who, whose power am I under? And he looked at me with laughing eyes and he said, mine. <laughs> I had to deliver a lecture and I went to this lecture thinking that all this chemical would be worn off by then but in fact it was to last a number of days and I got up in front of the audience and I was in a silent booth and it was all happening like still photographs all around me And speaking started, and it came somewhere out of the bowels. And I watched with great awe and wonder and disbelief as the whole evening went right in front of me like, a, like I was looking through a spectroscope. At the end of the lecture, nobody moved. I don't think anybody could move. It was as if we were all sitting there in a state of total zonk. I guess is the only way I can describe it. Frightened me. The experience frightened me, and I stopped lecturing after that because I didn't know what I what had happened to me, what I had tuned in on, what reality I had gone to. Because it seemed so empty and dead to me. So nothing, nothing. 
Later it wore off. Then I thought, well, this chemical certainly is something. I better find out what it really is about, and certainly New York City is not the place to do it. So I went out in the desert in Taos, New Mexico. Took my old school bus and drove out in the desert, and I fasted for four or five days. Way, way out, away from all people. 50 miles away from anybody. And then at sunset, I took the same chemical again. And I went to the same place again. But this time, not so much was happening. Bob Dylan wasn't singing the Memphis end of the Mobile Blues again. And I was there under the stars. And right in the middle of that place, I was saying, oh, I'm here again. Mm. This horrible place. And then in that moment of timeless moment, I said, yes, and this too. And immediately it turned into something else. Immediately it turned into something else. We developed some instructions some years ago for the use of psychedelics, which I later noted the Beatles used in their turn off your mind, float downstream. Turn off your mind, float downstream. Embrace the 10,000 horrible visions and the 10,000 beautiful visions. Embrace life, go through it. Embrace it all. Be one with it all. It was only when I said, and that too, that I got rid of another symptom that I had. And that symptom was a symptom that I had had many hours in that trip in the desert, which was a, a symptom of extraordinary energy in my body that was blocked so strongly that um, being the scientist that I am, I had, of course, gone to the desert with my brown rice and moo tea and tape recorder. And the tape of that evening, that night, I just left the tape going on the hood of the bus. I couldn't move from the bumper of the bus. I had to hold on to the bumper because there was no land around me. It was just complete nothing. Boy, everywhere. And, and there were many times I would scare myself. You know, I was holding on saying, this is just a drug. It'll wear off. It'll go away. I mean, I, just because I'm away from everybody, it's all right. And I'd look and there'd just be big chasms of nothing everywhere. <laughs> 
But the interesting thing about the tape, since I never said anything all night long, yet the tape is not blank. The tape is full of a sound that sounds very much like this. Maybe six hours of that. And what that was, was energy that I had tuned in on that I could not pass through my system. It was as if I had I had pushed a receiver button and so a lot of energy came in, but then I didn't know what to do with it. And I couldn't do it, I just could sit in a kind of a shaking state. But then I noticed that when I said yes and this too, I will embrace this, I will become one with the stars. And then I saw the, that false light of dawn before the sun, that early light. And I went through my whole trip about light and about the Hebrew tradition and about each man must have his light and about keeping the, the light going in the tabernacle and the inner light and for the first time in that moment I embraced my own tradition of Judaism I saw my tradition as part of a heritage part of the truth part of something that I was involved in. I, um, in a way, digress to tell all of this because we have been discussing a great deal about getting free of attachment to life and last evening we talked about the the misunderstanding of getting free of attachment and interpreting it somehow as a way of avoiding life <coughs> while in fact the journey is one of totally embracing life but doing it with complete non-attachment. This may seem paradoxical to you until you have meditated long about the matter. There is a line from Hakuin's poem Zazen Wasan, the Japanese process of performing Zazen says when you understand that thought is the thought of the thoughtless your singing and dancing is no other than the voice of the Dharma your singing and dancing in life is no other than the path to enlightenment that everything you're doing in life is part of an extraordinarily beautiful divine dance. 
And in a way, it's only by embracing the 10,000 horrible visions and the 10,000 beautiful visions that you go through the doorway of nature to go beyond nature at the same time as being fully in it. All sound paradoxical? of a sect which is the sect of servants my name is Ram Das Das means servant and Ram is an incarnation of God uh, coming from a middle class family in Boston we've had servant problems I mean, how do you keep a good retainer? How do you keep a good, a good worker? Somebody who will clean up the house, clean the dishes, be friendly, be happy, be paid as little as possible, keep their place, eat in the kitchen, have their own personal life, but don't let it intrude. It's all right for Thursday nights off and every other Sunday. That was the world I grew up in about servants. And interminably, my mother used to discuss on the phone the servant problem. And then there was a movie I recall seeing called The Servant. A movie in which the servant, with his exquisite intellect, controls the master and ultimately destroys him. And it had, in a way, the essence of the Western model of servant and master. That is the role of competition, power struggle. The servant gets as much as he can from the master, and the master gives as little as he can to the servant while getting as much as he can from the servant. How strange I should end up as a servant in a servant sect, thinking all those things. The model of the servant is Hanuman. <laughs> Hanuman is a monkey. <laughs> this is a Western representation of Hanuman. <laughs> Hanuman is in the story of the Ramayana. And In this story, Ram, who is God, has been sent off to the jungle with his wife and his brother for 14 years 
And the wicked Ravana wishes to get the wife, since she is the perfect wife. They have the perfect marriage. Every girl in India always wants to be Sita. And every marriage ceremony has the symbology of Sita and Ramana. And so he produces, he goes to a magician, and the magician makes herself into a deer that's made of jewels. And Sita looks at the deer and she says to Ram, would you get that for me and let me have it as a pet? And Ram goes off to get it for Sita. And while he's gone, uh, the bad Ravana comes in the form of a holy man and he spirits Sita away. And he takes her to an island and he holds her captive there because uh, she won't make it with him because she's very pure. And he says he's going to kill her and she says the sooner the better because then she'll be re reunited with God, who's her husband. <laughs> and it's a very complicated story because the bad guy is really a good guy just fulfilling a bad incarnation and he's hoping he'll be killed by Ram. That's one of the reasons for stealing Sita because if you get killed by God you immediately become enlightened. <laughs> so it's not a simple story by any means. And um, Ram is um, quite uptight in his incarnation. See, it's a, this funny level business in these stories is very important, by the way. I'm not just passing the time. <laughs> one point, and this is all, it all comes together somewhere in my head. <laughs> I hope it will in yours. At one point in the story, Ram is out in the woods and he meets these uh, uh, Nagas, these naked aesthetics, and they say to him, um, gee, Ram, you've got to help us out because the demons are really bugging us and we can't do our meditation. And your God, would you get rid of the demons first? Now, Ram is God, but he's also in an incarnation. It's like Christ saying to his mother, don't bother me, woman, don't bug me, it's not my time yet. You know? I mean, I'm just a carpenter. So Ram says, I can't, and he says, I'll go to see my guru and see if I can get a mantra that will exalt the demons, that will wipe out the demons. So he travels many days and he comes to his guru and he says to the guru, he bows down at the feet of the guru and the guru bows down at his feet and everybody's bowing to everybody else since there's all these levels going. Since the guru spends all his time worshipping Ram and Ram spends all his time honoring the guru. See, that's the trip. And Ram says to the guru, would you give me a mantra to wipe out these demons? And the guru says, look how silly. You're God. You know, you are the mantra. 
You're the demons, you're the whole works. And then right in the middle of the sentence, the guru remembers and he says, oh, I forgot, we're in an incarnation. And you're Ram, this nice young guy, and I'm your guru. And of course I'll give you a mantra. He gives him a mantra, he wipes up the demons. Now that's... At that point, the guru says, you honor me by allowing me to serve you this way. You're helping me by letting me serve you. That's a clue to the servant problem we're discussing. So Ram now is very distraught because Sita's gone and he goes out and hunts of search of Sita, his wife, and he finally comes to the kingdom of the monkeys. And the head of the monkeys makes a deal with Ram and says, I'll put all my monkeys at your disposal and we'll find Sita wherever she is because I'll, I'll, if all my monkeys don't find her, I'll kill them all. And he puts the whole thing under the control of Hanuman, who is his chief monkey. Hanuman is very, very pure, and in a previous incarnation was somebody else, which will complicate the story unnecessarily. <laughs> leave that for you to delve into if you want to read the Ramayana. But Hanuman becomes the pure and total servant of Ram. In other words, he dedicates his entire life, existence, feeling, breath, spirit, heart, the whole works to Ram. And in every picture that is ever shown of Hanuman and Ram, it always shows Hanuman kneeling at the feet of Ram, touching the foot of Ram. And it is said that Hanuman was so close to Ram that he became the breath of Ram. The breath of Ram. of my guru to Ram is one of perfect service. He is the servant of Ram. And I'll tell it to you, although you won't believe it, my guru is a reincarnation of Hanuman. And as a perfect servant of Ram, he is totally selfless. Now see, in order to understand this, you've got to break through your entire model of servants. Because always you think of servants as egos. As a servant playing the game of servant in order to get something for himself. This podcast 
has been brought to you by the Love Serve Remember Foundation and Ramdas.org. We appreciate all the support for the Foundation and for Ramdas's work, and we hope that you will continue that support. You can go to Ramdas.org and click on the Donate Now button and follow the prompts. Thank you.